Are we starting this? Hello. Hello. Hey, before we start, uh, if you haven't noticed, um, we have an exclusive sponsor of the Eric McKenna Project. It is our friends at the Coza Law Group. Uh, I'm I'm delighted uh, Rocco's friendship and also her participation in the podcast. It was a natural fit. It was presented to us, and we're thrilled because it's going to enable us to do some additional things this year. So we welcome Rocco and crew. Thank you. Happy New Year. Happy salute. Happy New Year. It's, we can still say that, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, what is it, middle of January? I heard, what is it, the Chinese New Year isn't until the 22nd. So someone mm-hmm. told me, said at work, I guess this guy was like, okay, so we can say Happy New Year until the 22nd. I thought this, it was just like an arbitrary number that he threw out. And then like later that day, someone said the Chinese New Year was the 22nd. I was like, that's what he oh, meant. Wow. <laughs> well, well, when does the Christmas tree officially have to come down? Not yet. December 26th. No. No. <laughs> is yours still up, James? Ours is usually up till March. But oh, um, shit. That's, do Wait, you know the really? Backst- yeah. I mean, we have four kids. We can't get anything done. Oh, okay. But okay. You know okay. The backstory I, thought was, on, I thought it was intentional. No. You know the backstory on the 12 days of Christmas, though, right? Where what? that comes from? No. Mm-mm. Oh, the story's fascinating. So in the early church in Europe, you had Western Europe celebrating Jesus's birth when we do now on December 25th. Mm-hmm. But the Eastern churches were all going for the eve of the epiphany mm-hmm. when the wise men came to see baby Jesus, okay. which is January 6th. So okay. the eve of the epiphany okay. is the fifth. So you had half of Europe doing one thing, half of Europe doing another thing. Finally, most people are like, you know what? Heck with it. I'm just going to celebrate all the days in between. Sure. So 12 <laughs> days of Christmas, the first day of Christmas, most people think it's the 12 days leading up to Christmas. It's actually Christmas Day. And then you count from there up to January 5th oh. and then that's the Orthodox Christmas okay, so yeah, yeah. I, I think the official answer you gotta leave it up at least till January 6th at least yeah, I'm 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 shooting for like maybe the end of this month. I think like every time I look, normally I'm like ready to like start taking a few things down yet. But I did. Su- I'm gonna, I'm gonna pat myself on the back. I did such a good job decorating this year. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> and then like I look around, and I'm like, it all looks so good though. Like it just, yeah. I don't know. I'm not She's ready. Just gonna it's, keep it up all I'm year. Not ready yet. I'm not ready. So, last story uh, about that. When I was a kid, my parents had friends in Moon Township, actually in the ritzy part of you know we were from Coriopolis. This is Moon Township, the ritzy area. We go up there, we go in their house. It's like August or something. I'm, something looks weird. Couldn't figure it out. And in the corner of their living room was this thing that had a white sheet over top of it, like they were hiding something. And I'm, everything else was normal. Finally, I asked my dad, I go, Dad, what's that thing over there? Oh, that's their Christmas tree. They just throw a bed sheet over it during the yes. year. And just, you know, I'm like, and I've never forgotten that. Oh, that's great. I've never, I, when I bizarre. drive past that house once in a while, I'm like, hey, that's the house that had the bed sheet <laughs> over the Christmas tree. And, and all like that. ornaments and all, they just don't want to do Everything, with it. just yes. the whole thing. They just threw, threw a bed sheet over it. And then now that's the epitome of laziness. That's yeah. a great idea. It's not, <laughs> yes. I have to say, it's not like, not. it does not without its charm. <laughs> that's the official rock and roll Christmas tree. Uh, <laughs> my cats are so attached to it this year. We're like. They didn't tear it down? They no, Thank God. It, we, we had one night, like literally like, right before Christmas Eve it was like the eve of Christmas Eve and we were like oh like let's sleep on the couch tonight and we'll like you know look at the tree and stuff and for whatever reason that was the night the cats decided they wanted to be in the tree like they of were like course. doing running course. dive bombs from the other room like <laughs> into the tree and we were like it's been up for a month like yeah. what the fuck is going on cats like, are I'm, assholes yeah. They can be. They certainly can be. But they are really, they're just really liking it. And I'm like, well, I don't want to disappoint them. It's their first Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we talk about the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. Right. That's the best segue Let's I can make. It. Nice. So for those of us who were here last time, 
we had talked about Legends of Atlantis. So you'll see this one leads off with part three. Bermuda is inexorably tied with Legends of Atlantis. And the fun thing tonight, Bermuda Triangle, mysterious disappearances. We're going to talk about some other mysterious disappearances as well. So what's actually going on in the Bermuda Triangle? So just to kind of dovetail it with Atlantis from last time, some believe the reason there are so many anomalies here is there are remnants of an underwater civilization that is somewhere within this triangle boundary. But where is the triangle actually defined as? In reading a lot of the literature on it, it's not always as clear cut as people think. So officially, it goes from Bermuda down to the Dominican Republic, or I'm sorry, Puerto Rico, and then over to Miami. But depending on what you read, it shows a little bit differently. So on the left, this is one of my favorite books on the Bermuda Triangle, and you can see here, it has more of like a, a lozenge type shape. This is from Charles Berlitz's Bermuda Triangle. But then we have other possibilities with it as well. Oh, I did want to point out too, just so people understand, not every single thing that goes into this triangle area disappears. Thousands of airplanes <laughs> and ships are traversing this every year. And I just read the other day, I found this interesting. Somebody... Um, had asked on, have you guys ever seen the Quora site, Q-U-O-R-A? Yes. Yeah, yes. it's pretty fascinating. They yes. put good stuff on there. So people basically ask questions, then a lot of people contribute, said, have there been any recent disappearances? And it doesn't seem like there have been over the past couple of years. So some people are starting to say, is the amount of technology that airplanes and ships have on them now preventing them from actually disappearing, avoiding whatever anomalies are out there. So just to show both sides of the story, this is a major shipping area. Lots of stuff goes through here. But we have some even bigger versions of the Bermuda Triangle. This comes from an amazing book called Limbo of the Lost. It's from John Wallace Spencer. So you can see where the triangle is normally defined as, but when he was tracking disappearances, he actually takes it the whole way across the North Atlantic Ocean, including the Azores, which are gonna come up a couple times. Some people believe the Azores are actually the mountain range left over from where Atlantis sank, but we know practically in World War II, the Nazis actually had a U-boat base here. So some people think that was actually causing some of the disappearances. So there's a lot of different ways we can go. And the one other thing I want to point out, if you're into the Bermuda Triangle, it's not just the Bermuda Triangle. There are literally triangles all around the globe. And this is a pretty famous one in Japan that's called the Dragon's Triangle. And once again, we have the same anomalies there that we see in the Bermuda Triangle. There's UFO sightings, there's legends, there's lots of disappearances. One time I looked at a map and they had actually plotted triangular areas all around the equator of the Earth. So one of the theories out there, and we'll get into each of them, but one of the theories is if another civilization truly was here on the Earth and wanted a place to be able to actually monitor the planet, monitor a civilization without being detected, what a better place to put things than right around the equator uh, under a couple thousand feet of water. Okay. So there are many, many different triangles out there. So before I get into some of the anomalies, does anybody have like any initial thoughts on the Bermuda Triangle? Anybody have any past interest in it? Well, well let me ask you this. The, 
uh, every day, I would imagine, there are commercial flights and commercial vessels that regularly go through there, mm-hmm. right? Or do these companies and countries, and do they avoid it as well? That's a really good question. There, The areas that I've seen actually get avoided are the North and South Pole, which is interesting, and that might be like a future topic. Right. So nothing flies directly over the North Pole. As far as I know, nothing non-military flies directly over the South Pole. As far as I know, companies are not actually flying to avoid this area because the area itself, if I move back here, the area itself you can see is absolutely huge. It would be tough to totally avoid this area. But we're also going to see one of the hallmarks of a lot of the disappearances is everything is fine. Everything is normal. It's a beautiful sunny day. And then just crazy stuff goes down because one of the misconceptions about the triangle area is well, there was a sudden storm, there were rough seas, and you're gonna see one of the unsettling things about these disappearances, a lot of times it is an otherwise perfect day and then something crazy just happens. Out of the blue. Out of the blue, literally out of the blue. I feel like, it, it's funny, because I, like, what I kept like thinking about was, remember in the Adams Family, Wednesday Adams like, makes a reference to the Bermuda Triangle and like one of the, like the old Adams Family. Mm-hmm. And like I keep thinking, I'm like, I don't really remember recent like pop culture references about the Bermuda Triangle. Earhart, right? Was uh, she supposed think, to go down the Bermuda Triangle? I think that was in the Pacific that she, she finally the, dis- the Pacific. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So but that, there's a side conspiracy with Amelia Earhart too, like why she disappeared. There well, was a six million dollar man episode that had to do with the Bermuda Triangle. That's, I guess that's like kind of what I'm thinking about, like considering what you were saying about how there haven't been recent disappearances yeah. that I'm wondering if this is like something that's kinda like phased out of like pop culture oh. because of the fact that like they really there hasn't been any like recent incidents. See, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a really really sharp observation because I think you could make one argument that the Bermuda Triangle is kind of out of vogue. This is like an older thing cuz there hasn't been as much. Mm-hmm. But part of the reason I wanted to bring it up is not only does it mesh really well with what we did last time with Atlantis, but There are new disappearances that are happening that are terrifying, that are very into pop culture, but right now they're happening actually on continents. So that's why the second half of this is on Missing 411. So the reason to put them together are these two separate unrelated phenomenon or the same thing that we've been seeing for decades in Bermuda, is that now actually happening over land with missing 411? So, okay. yeah, great observation. So, okay. some characteristics about disappearances it's both ships and airplanes. And here's where things start to get weird. And this is where, if people really didn't know anything about the Bermuda Triangle other than just what they assumed, they might be surprised. A lot of the vanishing is happening within view of land during clear, calm daytime conditions and very unsettling. A lot of times the pilots or the captains have just radioed that all is well and then they don't hear from them again. Another consistent thing with the disappearances is compass malfunctions, which interestingly we always see reported too with people who have had close encounters with UFOs. So it seems like there's a lot to the magnetic field of our planet or to the propulsion systems of whatever these technologies are that we're just not understanding. They will often report compass needles spinning rapidly in a counterclockwise direction. Another consistent thing with disappearances is the ones who are lost forever. The pilots and captains claim the ocean, this is a phrase you see a lot, just doesn't look right. They'll say it's discolored, it's obscured in a strange fog. The landmarks that they are used to seeing 
are either missing or this is pretty wild. The islands themselves are present, but they no longer have civilizations or the airstrips on them that they're looking for. And that to me is profound and fascinating because that to me indicates it might be some type of time slip. Like for somebody, I'm sure you guys have heard ghost stories of somebody walking along, seeing somebody in like colonial garb. Mm -hmm. They think there must be a costume party, but that person's looking at them strangely yeah, too. Yeah. Then they sort of disappear. So it seems like the shapes of the islands are right, but it doesn't match the proper time period of today. We also have a definite UFO relation. We've got strange lights reported either by the pilots or captains before they disappear or also by the search and rescue teams. So from reading these books, even as early as the 50s and 60s, people would be blown away how quick the response is with Coast Guard and search and rescue teams. You have literally hundreds of planes or ships combing thousands of square miles of ocean sometimes within a couple hours of the plane disappearing. So it's not just incompetence that it got completely neglected. Nobody knew where it was. They knew where it was. They went out to find it and they could just never actually find it. So just some characteristics because maybe if you're listening and you don't know anything about the Bermuda Triangle, skeptically go into it and think, well, maybe they just wrecked and it just sank so quickly that the SAR teams couldn't find it. So just remember that abbreviation SAR because we're going to use that with missing 401 search and rescue. So common characteristics here, no oil slicks are ever found. And that's significant because, you know, basic chemistry, oil is lighter than water. So even if you have a plane or a ship go down, even if it's below the surface, it's gonna leave that telltale oil slick. That never happens. There's only one case today I'm gonna show you where the wreckage was actually found. Most of the times it just vanishes without a trace. Flotation devices are rarely found. There's maybe been one famous case where months later, a life jacket washed up with the name of the ship on it, but usually those things aren't even actually found. Now, transponders are pretty fascinating. I did a little backstory on them. I'm sure everybody is tragically familiar with transponders ever since September 11th, but they actually developed them way back in World War II. And the reason why is pretty interesting. It's a neat bit of history. When British bomber squadrons would get done with their bombing raids, sometimes German planes would actually sneak up into the formation with them and fly back to England and then break from the formation and launch surprise attacks. So the British actually developed transponders to basically show them which airplanes were actually theirs on the way back. But we all know today transponders are on airplanes and ships and it tracks them. So consistently in these cases, the transponders simply don't transmit. It's not like they're turned off, they're just basically gone. And then this is pretty terrifying, and we're going to see a little bit later. This is also a hallmark of missing 411. It's not like it's an abrupt vanishment. Sometimes the pilots and captains gradually fade out from our reality. So the transmission is coming in strong, then it's weaker and weaker, their voice is fainter and fainter and fainter, and then they just finally actually lose them forever. So some famous disappearances. Is it okay if we do a couple short video clips, Eric? So the first one, 
Fred, you might know because I know you're well-versed in this stuff. Can you think of what's like the most famous disappearance of all time in the Bermuda Triangle? The Avengers, the, yeah, the yeah, squadron. Yeah, my man, I knew you'd know. So this is Flight 19 in the Bermuda Triangle. And what really sets this one apart, not only does a whole squadron of Avenger torpedo bombers disappear during World War II, but then they send out the search and rescue party and one of those flying boats disappears then and even more men are lost. So it's a double disappearance. So that's the basic gist of the biggest disappearance in triangle history. It was not just the whole squadron flight 19, but then it was also actually the rescue crew that actually went to get them. So, so oh, the ahead, planes Julie. disappeared too? Like they never found like any of them? Never, okay. no wreckages, right. absolutely nothing from them. Yep. Eric, quick pause. I think I think my display tried to change the display mode real quick. You can edit this out, right? Yep. Because what I found, because I got my adult evening course going on right now. Fred, you remember the adult, adult evening yeah. course, my man, right? Yeah. Okay, good. And if it did the extended display, it wouldn't record the screen. Okay. We're still good. We're in good shape. Sorry. Cool. Sorry, 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 sorry. No worries. Okay, so... All told, they lost the squadron, then the rescue boat went out to get them, and then they lost that. So they had 27 total men lost right during wartime, totally without a trace. And that was World War II. So here is Flight 19. This is the final quote that they had from Lieutenant Charles Taylor, the flight leader. We seem to be lost, have enough fuel for 75 minutes. Can't tell whether over Atlantic or Gulf. That's how turned around they were. They weren't even sure. Not sure, but think we're 75 miles from Banana River Naval Air Station. And then they kind of faded out. So search and rescue team was out. They looked everywhere and not even just in the ocean. They also looked in the entire Southeast United States. And whenever one of these happens, there's always rumors like, well, this person saw a fire here. There was people in the Everglades right here. But every single one of the rumors was checked. And these ones totally vanished without a trace. And so there have been many to follow after that. So a few years later, the Star Tiger and the Star Ariel, you can see almost 50 people were lost in that one. Both of these things were very, very reliable long range passenger airplanes, the Tudor fours. And because they were both lost, the British basically grounded the entire armada of airplanes to see if there was actually something wrong with the airplane itself. They could never actually find a thing. One was lost at night, one was lost in late afternoon, but in both cases, the weather conditions were totally ideal. And once again, it wasn't like the pilots reported that there was some malfunction, they weren't in a panic, regular contact, and then just like flicking a switch, they just never heard from either of them again. So one interesting take for at least these ones that happened in the 1940s is people assume sabotage or they assume underwater mines. But one of the interesting things is after the war was over, they basically checked with the Germans because every time the Nazis were doing some type of counterintelligence, some type of mission over in Allied waters, it was recorded. And the Germans were not responsible for even a single one of these things. So they didn't know why they were actually happening either. So just a couple more, just to give you a magnitude of the amount of life that has been lost here. This was the USS Cyclops. And so it was returning to Norfolk 
with a load of manganese ore. And this was during... What's the, manganese ore? Um, oh, it like was, a rock? Yes. Okay, okay. Yes, 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 yes. So okay. a lot of this stuff, you can see the map in the background, and gotcha. you're going to see it with the next one, too, is basically mined down in South America. So it was okay. needed for the war effort. Mm-hmm. And so never radioed any distress. It simply never returned. And if you notice... Over 300 people were lost for this one. And if you look at the size of the ship, you have to understand too, like think back to the movie Titanic. Mm -hmm. The larger the ship, the longer it's going to take that thing to sink. Like some of these ships, if the hull was really damaged, they might sit there listing in the water for days on end before actually sinking, sometimes over a week. So for a ship of this size to just totally vanish is absolutely insane. Then this one, 63... I just heard about this one the other day because we had actually lost somebody from my hometown on this one. So this was the Marine Sulfur Queen. So not very glamorous work, but they actually mined sulfur brimstone and they were bringing it from Texas to Norfolk, Virginia. And it was just never heard from again. Now, this is one of the only ones where some vestiges were later found. Some life jackets showed up that actually had the Sulphur Queen name on it, but the ship itself was never found. So it's not just small airplanes, small boats that are disappearing. It's absolutely enormous ships, at least for a couple decades straight, just completely vanishing without a trace. And so like there wasn't even like <clears throat> like wreckage showing up, like there like wasn't like pieces of things floating up or anything like that like correct and that's what's insane about because these sar teams are trained to look for exactly that they're trained to look for oil slicks they're when something like this goes on the search and rescue effort is so massive it's covering thousands of square miles that people are reporting things all the time they're reporting pieces of wreckage but every single piece of wreckage is brought in it's examined in all of these cases so far it's never matched anything that's actually sunk the u.s even lost a nuclear sub now this is a big no-no when you lose one of these nuclear power subs this was the uss scorpion it's one of only two that was ever lost and it was the same year that Israel, France, and the Soviet Union all lost subs. And so it's not like it's just one country that's got something really advanced that's doing it. And so it disappeared right around the Azor Islands, which is what some people think was the very edge of Atlantis. Now, this is one of the only times they actually did find wreckage. So this is an underwater camera showing the scorpion on the ocean floor, but nobody knows why it actually sank. No cause was ever actually given for it. So lots of crazy disappearances in this area. Some people think that at least some of the disappearances are because of what's called the Black Fleet. Have you guys ever heard of the Black Fleet? No. Crazy bit of World War II history. When the Germans officially surrendered, it took a while for word to get out to the U-boat captains. And some of them, it was probably about 40 U-boats. They were like, the heck with that. We refuse to surrender. We are going to fight on for the motherland regardless. And so there were a number of U-boats that were just never, ever actually found. And one of the sneaky things that the Nazis would do as counterintelligence is 
different U-boats that had sank, they would paint those numbers on other U-boats. They would switch numbers. So the mm. Allies never knew which ones were out there. And then I think in a previous podcast, we talked about different U-boats intercepted that were bound for Antarctica mm -hmm. and the secret Nazi base there. So one of the non-extraterrestrial or paranormal possibilities is just that the U-boats continued to be out there for upwards of decades after that, and they were still sinking some of these things. So before we get into some of the more extreme possibilities, anybody, I feel like I'm talking too much, anybody got any takes on any of these disappearances? I remember the Bermuda Triangle events that I was made aware of as a kid were like, it was all kind of centered around time travel, like people coming in and out of space, time spaces or plane landing you know somewhere in there at an airfield and being being in the wrong decade things like that and i thought that that was kind of in that area yes and we're going to get to and i actually have a video clip we're going to get to time vortexes time slips like if you read some of these books some of the best books about the movement of triangle came out back in the 60s and like these authors are so far ahead of their time like they're suggesting ideas that sort of got pushed to the back burner and only now, 60 years later, are physicists sort of coming back to those ideas. So yeah, I think that they were on the right track. So how did like they really account for the fact that, like 309 people were lost just on one ship? Is that right? Yes. Right. So like what, like what was the official, like how was it reported? Like was there like official news stories about this? Like did like, the families like, have like an uproar or something like I mean right. I just feel like that many people like it like they were just vanished gone right. like I feel well, like it would be a huge deal it would be well the sad thing is keep in mind during wartime at least for disappointment appearances that were World War One, World War Two, World War Two especially sadly thousands of our armed forces are getting lost so a lot of those families basically got the same generic letter that mm -hmm. anybody would if their sons were killed in the European yeah. theater, like your son died with great valor defending his country. Sure. But one of the other issues is with these disappearances, even like with a missing persons case today, you just never know. There's never a definitive point where you just end it like, okay, it's totally lost. So I think part of it, by the time the families even found out, it was probably weeks later, if not months later, hmm. because the Navy didn't want to just admit like, hey, they're just totally gone. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like that Malaysian airliner from a couple of years ago. They never found that, right? Well, and that was, I'm glad you brought that up because I've got slides in a different presentation. But the crazy thing about that one is the pilots turned off the transponder eventually, but before they did... It had basically veered and made a sharp right turn. And the last direction it was headed towards was this tiny little U.S. airbase in the South Pacific. Secret airbase. Called Diego Garcia. Oh, you know, that was just on my radar, that Diego Garcia. Yeah. I, well, I don't know where, but I just some, did some reading on that. See, Diego Garcia comes up every now and then with the U.S. secret space program because they think one of the launch points is Diego Garcia. But the interesting reason it came up in this case, not only was the airplane headed right for there, but like multiple airplanes on September 11th, that Malaysian airliner happened to have an overly high percentage of engineers and things like that on board. And one of the guys, I forget his name, I have it in a slide, from IBM basically did a talk to text. He sent a photograph 
it was a single black photograph because it was just from in his pocket. And he basically said, hey, my name is so-and-so. I was able to smuggle this phone through in my in my ass like I hit it that's why they don't have it from me uh we're on the ground we've been taken prisoner we're not sure what they're doing with us so the photograph itself is totally black but photographs can still give a ton of information even if they're totally black they have what's attached to them called metadata yeah you guys mm-hmm. so basically like anytime you take a photograph right it's gonna encode your latitude your longitude your elevation is that your your ex uh exil or LI data that you see with like digital photographs, they, it's like listed as an capital. The acronym is like EXLIF, or is that more specific to photography? I don't know. Okay, it's yeah. good. I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. So people looked at the latitude longitude coordinates and it matched Diego Garcia. So right away, skeptics came out. They're like, oh, this is a hoax. Somebody like changed that. And most people are like, hey, metadata is like one thing that you, so you cannot change. So they verified this photo was real. Yes. It's. I mean, it's one of those things. It's so scandalous that it it got out of the mainstream media very, Where very quickly. It, who got the first text of it? He sent to a news outlet, didn't he? I think he did. He yeah. sent to a news yeah, outlet. Yeah, I think he did. And that's not a big story. That should be a huge yeah, story. Of course, they're going to hide it. Well, and that wow. was one of the part of the reason. Wow. Part of the reason that one wasn't bigger is again missing airplane there's not like a clean cut break so like oh like we're optimistic we're still you know we're gonna find it and they never ended up how do you hide in the year 2021 whenever this happened how do you hide an airliner well interestingly the area of the pacific ocean or no the indian ocean that it disappeared had very very little satellite coverage so some people basically said hey if you want to make an airplane disappear in the year what was it 2021 no 2019 uh, 17 maybe 16 yeah yeah like this is the perfect spot to actually fly this thing to that is so bizarre yeah so bizarre yeah actually I always learn so much stuff on that i don't even remember the, sh- the story at all really Mm-mm, no eric let's do a quick <clears throat> yeah um pause aside um okay before we get any further yeah. i missed that flight by one day because we were, we you were, were going to be on that flight. We weren't going we were, we were, we to be on the flight. Time out, time we weren't going to be on the flight. You never told me that. We weren't going to be on the flight. Megadeth canceled their Australian tour, and so they canceled all their Far East. We were, we missed it by. I think we were supposed to be on the night before. Shut up. Flying to it was the same path, same thing. But here's the thing with with that flight. Uh, they were it was all engineers. And it was all people going to a conference in China, and it was all these companies had a patent on something and was and, and it was like a it was like china had the patent united states had the patent you know france australia all these people had this patent for something i i, I don't know what it was but it was, it was going to change the world it's this revolutionary you know well, i guess it's oh, not I know that. So, so check, wait so, so check, they're all on the flight but guess what's what's the big uh company in america america uh medical Pfizer. It was Pfizer, Pfizer or something. Okay. Or Moderna. Moderna, one of these things. Johnson & Johnson. They all have, so, so these all have, so these all, so yeah, the guy from, that's like the head of the, whatever in the United States, he misses <clears> the flight. And guess who is the sole owner of the patent? Whatever company Fuck it is. One. That, that is nuts. That, that's really? Right. That, and that's, and that's what, that's the backstory on that. They got rid of all of them. And so, it's the United States owns the patent. 
for whatever whatever I can't remember what technology it was. I just don't see how you hide an airliner. Supposedly, Flight ninety three landed in Cleveland, evacuated every. They they reported it landed. The mayor did. The mayor reported it. Don't worry, it's safe. It's landed here. They've taken the people off and put them in the hangar. And the next thing you know, this thing's back in the air, crashing into. So wait, what? Like what was what was this even posted on? Okay, so what I have here, this is the actual text or tweet or whatever you want to call it. This was from IBM engineer Philip Wood. So. He takes this photograph and notice it just looks black, but it's got the metadata attached. I've been held hostage by unknown military personnel after my flight was hijacked, blindfolded. I work for IBM and managed to hide my cell phone in my ass during the hijack. I've been separated from the rest of my passengers and I'm in a cell. My name is Philip Wood. I think I've been drugged as well and cannot think clearly. And so that's where it actually was. Then the real super weird twist to this one, if you remember it, a couple months later, another Malaysian Airlines flight disappears. Supposedly, it got shot down by Ukrainian rebels that were pushing for independence from Russia. And if you advance to today and you look at what's going on today with Ukraine-Russia, if you want to go with the globalist angle, you could basically make the angle of whoever is pulling the strings out there has been trying to provoke these tensions for years. Now, the really weird thing is some people think the original missing Malaysians airliner was then repurposed and intentionally shot down here. Now, for evidence of that, these are alleged pictures of the actual crash. And we're going down kind of a a side rabbit hole here, but that's okay. So one conspiracy is that they reused the safely landed MH370. And remember why I said that the Germans did with the U-boats, they would switch the numbers. And then they called this, they rebranded it the MH17. So what's interesting is they were caught Photoshopping a couple things. So you can see the original picture right there from Reuters. You can see the Malaysian flag on the side. But then you can see the updated picture has a photoshopped window on it. Yes. Now, the reason that's significant is that for this model of airplane, the updated model, they had actually, I believe, put in like a, a staircase or something right there in the airplane. It was a big airplane. So they took out the window. The problem was the airplane they said got shot down should have still had a window on it. So it's like they posted the picture that was like, oh wait, no. And then they show the updated version. And sadly, the same thing also happened on September 11th where initial pictures of like the airplane that hit the Pentagon or the pieces ended up getting updated. The images changed just a little bit. So some interesting things and why some people were actually crying foul is that The Malaysian flag doesn't properly align with the window. The Ukrainian rebel leader, he said that they actually had the remains and he said, this was a conspiracy, this was a setup, but he said, we have no idea who to actually give the remains to because we don't know who we can actually trust that'll tell the real story. And he, he claimed what was actually on board, not to get overly graphic. He said it wasn't people that had just died, it was rotten corpses that had drained of blood. And so the videos some people think were created before it was shot down. According to the flight radar screen, the actual flight MH17 got canceled and then 
consistent with September 11th, one of the only things they actually find are pristine passports that are at the crash site. So everything else is charred and destroyed and then they find perfect passports right there. So there were lots of conspiracies about that one. Over a couple years, there have been pieces that have washed up, but nothing definitive. And then somebody, this is pretty interesting, on Google Earth found the image on the right off the coast of South Africa. And so it looks like waves, but underneath you can see what clearly looks like an airplane, excuse me, an airplane there. So a lot of people are still divided on that one. So what was interesting, a lot of odd correlations in these modern airplanes missing, especially during these terrorist events. High percentages of the passengers on board are highly trained engineers and scientists, as Fred alluded to. The same thing happened with the flight that allegedly was shot down or crashed outside Shanksville on September 11th. There's only 37 passengers, but a very high percentage of them were engineers and computer scientists. On the Malaysian one, high percentage of computer scientists. And so one of the podcasts that my friends and I had done years ago, I took the lead on it and I called it moving people off planet. So if we do believe the secret space program is out there, a number of whistleblowers have said, not only is it out there, it's so advanced, we already have human colonies on the moon, we have them on Mars, we're already visiting other star systems. That's gonna take a enormous degree of manpower, scientific power. And so it is interesting to me when a lot of these people go missing or are deemed that they have been killed, part of me wonders to myself, are they really dead or is this basically their cover story? They've been taken to one of these other places. It would it would really make a lot of sense to me. So that's just kind of a quick rabbit hole, but that's that's the basic crash course on the Malaysian what the Airlines. What's up one. with Chuck E. Cheese there, buddy? Well, that one was, <laughs> that was actually since I'm jumping around the mouse hole. <laughs> that was a presentation I had done for our astronomy club, and one of the conspiracies was the Chuck E. Cheese conspiracy, and that's a pretty tame conspiracy. It was actually <laughs> the moon is made of cheese. <laughs> it was actually. I mean, you want to talk? There are there are sweeter conspiracies out there. The conspiracy there was. I forget whether it was Jake Paul, Logan Paul, one of like the big like social media guys that the teenagers follow. That was the guy that was on the that was the the fighter, right? Yeah, okay, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. He basically his allegation was Chuck E. Cheese is reusing pizza slices that people didn't eat because when Chuck E. Cheese brings out new pizzas the crust doesn't match around the outside. So the crust will be like this circumference, then it'll change, then it'll go back out, and it caused a huge scandal. So, I mean, we're really diverging a lot here, but that's the reason okay, that so the that's, Chuck that's E. Cheese is a little, little less important, but okay. Right. But. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm in food and nutrition, like currently, so I, you know, it's it's a it's a it's an important issue, I suppose. But I mean, we can move on to bigger and better things. Right. But <laughs> just see, I mean, there are sweeter conspiracies out there. So, like Eric, if the Coza Law Group ever comes to you on side, like, hey. These conspiracies, this is too much, man. We've got hammer stuff this that we can deep. definitely do. This is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my yeah. God. So I have got a number of possible causes for these disappearances, and I am gonna give you the full gamut. So everybody listening and watching after this, like you cannot tell me that we have not totally covered the Bermuda Triangle. This is everything. So possibility number one, 
for these disappearances are time vortexes. And that might sound like science fiction to you, but we have one definitive proven case of a man actually flying through a time vortex in the Bermuda Triangle and living to tell about it. So this is Bruce Gernon. Oh yeah, trust me. This one is actually, I mean, it's rare to say in the paranormal field, something is proven. This one is actually proven, but nobody knows how it went down. So 1970, he is flying a smaller airplane, a Beechcraft Bonanza A36. The top speed of it is 206 miles per hour. And wait, who is this guy like? He is a private pilot. Okay. He has a lot of experience. I'm about to show you a video clip that's going to reenact the whole thing. Okay. So Bruce Gernon is a private pilot. He's flying two passengers right through the Bermuda Triangle. They were making two different stops and they were eventually, I believe, landing in Florida. It's a totally calm, sunny day. All of a sudden, Gernon reports out in front of him, a wall of clouds appears. Then within the clouds, there's an opening that looks like a spiral vortex. And he said, the vortex opens and he can see purple lightning bolts shooting around the outside of the vortex. Now, Gurdon decides to fly through the vortex. Now, initially you're thinking, okay, this story's gotta be garbage. Why would you ever fly through something like that? Well, or but, his options, like what else could he exactly. have Exactly, thank okay. you, Julie. So Gurdon claimed <laughs> the wall of clouds showed up so quickly, he had no other choice. And he said, through the vortex up ahead, and you can see in that recreation there, he could see blue sky. So he goes to fly through it. While he's inside of it, he can see the clouds spinning around him counterclockwise. He sees these bolts of lightning shooting all around, but he presses on and he pushes the plane to its maximum power because he can see that the vortex is starting to close. He said they break through and for a few moments, they almost feel weightlessness, like they're in outer space. And then once he comes to and he realizes his situation, he's way, way closer to his final destination than he should be. And he said the flight control tower picked him back up as soon as he came out of the cloud. They were also at a loss as to how he jumped forward. So he ended up traveling 250 miles in only 47 minutes. Now I did the math. That would be a speed over 100 miles per hour faster than the Beechcraft Bonanza can max out. Now, this might still not seem too impressive to you, but here's the really crazy part. That average is brought down by the total length of the trip. If you count just the time he's inside the vortex, they calculated he was traveling at a speed of about 3,000 miles per hour, which would have been, let me think about this, over Mach 4, which we didn't even have any airplanes at the time that could actually do that. So I apologize for saying 3,000 miles per hour later, but the estimates are anywhere from one to 2,000 miles per hour while he's actually in that tunnel there. So this was a very credible case. And what's frustrating about science is anytime there's one of these pure anomalies out there that they can't explain, mainstream scientific community, the media just completely ignores this one. What made this one so credible, it's not just Gernon's personal account, but this is 1970, he's got a transponder. He's being tracked the entire time by Miami Air Station. So they basically confirmed that the jump itself actually happened. So So wait, they were able to calculate that that like tunnel he went through was in fact 10 miles? Basically they lost the transponder of the airplane for 10 miles. Okay. And then when he reappeared, 
he was right over Miami. And in reality, given the maximum speed of that airplane, he shouldn't have even been close to Miami yet. Okay. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. Any other things on Bruce Gurnan? Because that's a pretty wild one. It's just nuts. <laughs> so... I just can't believe that this didn't get like studied a little bit more or something. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. because like it seems like obviously he did his little you know right. spiel's on TV or whatever. But right. like I'm assuming they were using like actual like calculations. Say okay, if it's this like you know this many miles and like the flight was or the plane was going this fast, you know. Right. And I mean obviously my brain kind of like fizzles out whenever there's too much math involved, and I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. Right. But like. To me, like those are pretty like hard and solid facts that you could like easily sure. piece through and you know sort right. out. Um, was that like did the passengers on his flight confirm the same kind of feelings that he was talking about? Like as far as the feeling of like weightlessness or whatever. Well, it's interesting you say that. There were two passengers on his flight, and as far as I know, neither have come forward, and nobody has ever, as far as I've known, seen or alleged that this man was making it up because. They had the actual tracking data to confirm it. Mm -hmm. But also, as you alluded to, it's never been actually put out there. Like, you'll still see Bruce Gernon on, like, an episode of, like, Ancient Aliens or, like, something on the Science Channel, but that's it. And part of the reason is it's a small airplane. It's out over the Atlantic Ocean. Like, it's not happening over a populated area. So it's pretty easy for people to just ignore it. Hmm. So. So possibility number two, are these people disappearing because they're actually being abducted by aliens? And so we have a long history of alien encounters with the Bermuda Triangle area, and it actually dates the whole way back to the time of Columbus. Fred, have you ever heard about the famous Christopher Columbus UFO sighting? I have. Could you give us a little on? <laughs> so, uh, so they're coming across and they're, and they're coming down through uh, getting close to the triangle. And off in the distance, he reports seeing uh, a glowing light, an orange glowing light that looks like a candle that's coming up and down out of the water. Well, they know that there shouldn't be any light there. So, they, he, but the thing with Columbus is he kept a meticulous journal because I mean he was a, an explorer, mm -hmm. you know. So, what he's writing about is a light that he saw out on the water when there shouldn't have been any light hmm. and it was I, according to him it was it was rising up and then it would go down into the water and it goes up and it'll go down into the water so and it was really fortuitous for columbus that the sighting happened because everybody knows about the nina the pinta santa maria i think he's on the santa maria at the time and from what I read, the crew is getting pretty close to mutinying against him. Yeah, they're, 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 they were mad. Yeah. And, and that, he took it as a good sign. Yeah, they took it all like sailors are very superstitious overall, at least back then they were. Mm -hmm. They took that as a very positive sign. And sure enough, the very next day they made landfall. And it's kind of interesting because if you think back to stories about George Washington at Valley Forge, the Revolutionary War is nearly lost, but then he's visited by the mysterious green men and he gets this vision of how to continue the war effort. So sometimes you just sort of wonder whether there might be some truth to some of that. So what we'll get into in the second half of this is the missing 411 phenomenon. So I'm going to come back to this map, but this was assembled by former police detective David Polites showing what he believes is a pattern, clusters of disappearances that are happening around the continental United States centered on various national parks. So if we have this phenomenon happening on land, 
Could we have also had it happening for decades just over water? There's a lot of parallels between the two, which we'll get into. Is there a chance it's just magnetic anomalies? So interesting thing about the Bermuda Triangle and the Dragon's Triangle, they are the only two locations on in the world known so far where compasses point to true north, geographic north, rather than magnetic north. And it's not a subtle difference anymore. There's a 20 degree difference between the physical top of the earth versus the north magnetic pole. And so some of the lost crews report wildly spinning compasses before contact is actually lost. So what are these anomalies from? Is it from the interference from extraterrestrials? Is there something that's left under the water there, whether it be Atlantis, whether it be something else, or does our planet itself have natural magnetic anomalies? But because the floor of the sea, some have claimed is even less explored than the surface of the moon, we simply don't know about them. Now, I will say that as early as World War II, different countries were starting to manipulate Earth's magnetic field to their advantage. So you hate to say that anything the Nazis did was brilliant, but in terms of actual creativity and inventiveness, the Magnetofunk and Himmelkompass, I love these German words, were totally brilliant. So the Nazis had different hidden bases all around the world, even during World War II. And part of what they would do is they would only identify the base by a number. So that way, if there was a double agent, if some transmission got leaked to the Allies, the name itself would not give away any of the geographic information. So everybody talks about the legendary base that the Nazis had under Antarctica. But this is a different base at the other end of the world. This is 0103. Now, here's what the Germans actually did. And this one isn't urban legend. This one definitely happened. They created Magnetofunk at point 0.103. This was a, an artificial magnetic field that would gradually, this is brilliant, defect, deflect the compass needles of allied airplanes away from point 0.103. And the pilots would never realize it because let's say the pilots are just navigating to north they are just going to follow where the north or the needle points to north on their compass, not realizing it's gradually deviating them around point 103 and then back in the same trajectory after they got past it. Wait, where was this? Like, where did they create this magnetic field? It is in point 103, I believe, was in northern Canada. Yeah, it was okay. up by the Arctic. Okay, okay, thanks, Freddie, for the confirmation. Now, the Nazis, so they could find it, had to create something that wouldn't be swayed by the magnetic field. So they created Himmel Compass, and this allowed Axis pilots to navigate based on the sun rather than Earth's actual magnetic field. So they could get to point 103 if they just went on navigating with the sun rather than the magnetic field. So I just throw this in there as an aside, but to basically show as early as World War II, the Nazis at least saw some advantage to manipulating Earth's magnetic field. So if there was a more advanced civilization out there from long ago, we could definitely say they would have realized the same. So some other wild cards. 
could this have actually been Atlantis? So there have been a lot of claims over the years, but frustratingly, like a lot of urban legends, nothing ever comes of it. Divers basically go to a spot in the Caribbean. They dive down, they find a pyramid, they swim inside the pyramid. There's what looks like a huge energy crystal inside. They make note of it, but frustratingly don't bring anything back. They go back up to the ship. The ship comes back out later with a bigger dive crew to do genuine excavation, and then they can't find the spot again. What's interesting though, and I just double checked this to make sure it's not an urban legend. Very recently, remember the Azores? The one point of the Bermuda Triangle, if you take it the whole way across the Atlantic, the Nazi U-boat base. In 2013, fishermen discovered a 60 meter high underwater pyramid perfectly square off the coast of the Azores. And remember, one of the urban legends about Atlantis is that's where Atlantis actually was. And the Azores are basically the mountain ranges left above it. So could it have actually been Atlantis? So some recommended reading that I think is pretty solid is, I've read both these books, I have them both, they're amazing. They're older books, but Limbo of the Lost by John Wallace Spencer, and then The Bermuda Triangle by Charles Burlitz. Both of them are absolutely phenomenal. So that will be a really nice dovetail into the second half of this, but does anybody have anything else? In a way, I feel like we kind of rushed through Bermuda Triangle, but I feel like we, put enough of it out there that any if any of your listeners are really into it they can definitely go farther with it i'm just curious is it strictly like folklore in terms of how corporations deal with it you know if you're saying that we're in there with commercial vessels both air and sea Mm -hmm. on a regular basis then they're not taking it too seriously but if there's if they try to avoid it at all at all costs then those companies would be lending credence to the folklore, right? Uh, I have read in this, I, I think Julia mentioned something about this earlier. There were a few companies I've read over the years that have intentionally tried to avoid that area, but they never actually made it public that they were trying to avoid it. Either they didn't want criticism for buying into like the folklore and like the unscientific viewpoint, But I have read, especially when the disappearances were at their peaks, a number of companies either subtly tried to avoid the area or they made sure to not send ships or airplanes into that area alone. But then the crazy thing, that hasn't even stopped the disappearances. So in some of these books, the disappearances are insane. There are a couple cases where one ship is literally towing another ship back to Miami, the ships are connected with ropes or chains and the ship being towed disappears in the fog and then the other ship doesn't. There's even a chapter in one of these books and it's freaking terrifying. It's called Survivor's Tales. And it was a fascinating case. On one of the ships, the captain had finally gone to sleep below deck and he suddenly hears a commotion and he's awoken And for some unexplained reason, the entire huge ship has been pulled down underneath the water. And he was just able to get his tiny porthole window open. Water rushed in. I don't know how the guy didn't get knocked out. He climbs through the window and he's able to swim back up to the surface and survive. So according to his account, for some unexplained reason, he said it was almost like gravity had reversed itself, or I guess 
not reverse itself, but intensified. The entire ship just overruled buoyancy and just got sucked right to the bottom, almost like there was a magnet under there. What is the Navy? I'm sorry, Julia. What's the Navy's official stance on this? Like, ah, they, what's the official stance? There's nothing to it. They have given, and I wish I know I've read it multiple times. The Navy has acknowledged that many, many things have gone missing or disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle, but they've basically said, um, to the best of their study, every single one of them can be explained by pilot, captain error, wartime, inclement weather, etc. But if you actually look into the cases, there's no way that it's actually true. Because again, so many of the most famous disappearances are happening in totally calm conditions. Yeah, that's freaky. Yeah. The other thing I was going to ask is where is this in relation to Atlantis again? It's, 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 they're not the same place, right? Like, oh, well, that's, Azores, right? that's a great question. So let me bring the map back up at the beginning. So I'm glad I read all these books because, you know, I'll just say to people listening, make sure that you're still reading books. Absolutely. And don't, don't dismiss a book because it was written back in the 50s or the 60s. Because I can honestly say reading these books from back then, even reading like classic UFO magazines from back then, it's so frustrating because these authors, these scientists were so far ahead of their time. It's almost like there has been a controlled intentional stall over the past 70 years. And only now, like the groundbreaking physics is starting to talk about these right. ideas that these guys were talking right. about way back then. Sure. So like some of this stuff, if you just Googled like Atlantis, Bermuda Triangle, you'd never find it. So this is one map. This is from one of those two books where they actually plotted out the disappearances. And you can see overall, it looks like kind of a triangle shape. This one I love though, this comes from Limbo of Lost. So here is basically a larger version of the officially recognized triangle. But officially, if you can see my mouse, oh, my mouse doesn't show up there, that's frustrating. If you see where Bermuda is, Bermuda to Puerto Rico to Miami is the officially recognized triangle. So Spencer's drawn a larger triangle there, but then in his personal opinion, this triangle goes the whole way across the Atlantic. And so contained within that larger triangle, I think we may have touched on it last time, is the nefarious Sargasso Sea. And the Sargasso Sea is essentially a dead area right in the middle of the North Atlantic. So there's trade winds and currents above it and below it, but in between it's this dead zone. And so you have a lot of sargassum. It's this big, uh, thick seaweed that comes up to the surface. And so that's been legend too, because for years in the Middle Ages, sailors got confused. They saw the sargassum and they thought they were actually getting close to land, but they were nowhere close to it. So then lots of lore and superstition uh, sprung up among sailors because they told stories of ghost ships, ships getting in there and getting stuck and just like covered with seaweed and not able to get out. Yeah, that makes me so uncomfortable. Yeah, so that larger, <laughs> that larger triangle also encompasses the Sargasso Sea. That's also what they dubbed the horse 
latitudes. Horse latitudes. Yeah, because Legend Fred, tell us why that why they call it the horse latitudes. Because they were stuck. Because there was no trade winds. So the horses that they had on board, they would tether them to the ship, throw the ship, throw the horses in. The horses would swim them through, swim them out of there. Oh well, see that's a that's a cuter version of what I've heard. <laughs> I've heard they got stuck for so long. Either they threw the horses over the side for ballast, or they just ate the horses because they started <laughs> to run out. I like that. Oh, yeah, just throwing them over and using the horses using as like, a motor. That's what I heard. But literal horsepower. We'll go with that. <laughs> so wait, but like back to my original question, like where is velocity oh, Atlantis? Atlantis? Okay, like, okay, in, that's in a great rela- question. In relation to this, okay. Obviously, as we it's talked like about, far away from right. this, right? Come on, well, Julie, no. it's beyond the pillars of Hercules. <laughs> <laughs> I have never been great with geography. Okay, that no. was always one of my. You know weeks. what? I'm glad you asked that because maybe some people listening don't remember the last episode. Or they didn't watch it. Okay, if you see where the Azores are over to the right, uh-huh. that is one potential guess for Atlantis. Okay, so. The pillars so it of, is in that bit, lot larger triangle. Yes. Or okay. then, if you look over to where Miami is, immediately south of Miami is where they found the legendary Bimini Road. So the psychic Edgar Casey predicted that Atlantis would be found there. And then the year that he gave, divers found the Bimini Road basically looks like these huge masoned cut limestone blocks making a pavement on the ground and so it could be as far to the west as immediately south of florida so the lost city of atlantis was in the beeper like there's a chance it's the of same, it. it's the same place if atlantis well, was it's, there it's all yeah. around here right like right. it's not on the other side of the globe probably not uh, well i mean i it, mean nobody knows for sure where atlantis I would say was if, but if or when if atlantis or was real there's a really good chance it's in one of those two triangles there. okay yes. then yeah, all right that's a great okay. question excellent okay Cool. So I was really excited when we could combo these two things together because not only is Missing 411 totally terrifying, but it's also newer and contemporary. So if you're kind of like, well, you know what? Like the Bermuda Triangle, yeah, it's kind of cool, but at this it's point, outdated. yeah, it seems kind of dated. <laughs> this is very, very current. And this you're isn't also, your mother's conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> it's your mother's yeah. conspiracy. <laughs> So you're basically going to see that a lot of the characteristics of Missing 401 dovetail very, very well with Bermuda Triangle disappearances. The other interesting twist is I've met the gentleman that is at the forefront of this, and Fred also has some good stories to share along the way. So it's going to be really, really good. So the man you see here with the confident look holding the Bigfoot footprint and the big mustache there, that is former police detective David Polites. I thought he was holding a big cake. (laughs) (laughs) We found you. (laughs) Former baker turned conspiracy theorist. Bigfoot the baker. (laughs) It looks like a big cake. So, Polites actually, while he was a police detective or right when he retired, he actually began as a Bigfoot researcher. So, the critics that he does have have basically latched on to that because Bigfoot is still somewhat taboo today. There is a lot of evidence that there is something out there like a Bigfoot, but people basically tried to attach Polites that say, well, this is just a Bigfoot guy. So he starts out as a Bigfoot researcher. And then I read about this in his first book, Missing 411 Western United States. He had basically been doing some research in a national park and he was staying in a national park at one of the cabins. And then one rainy night gets a knock at his door. I seriously thought that was someone knocking. I was like, (laughs) 
And so it was a park ranger he had met earlier that day or earlier that trip and basically said, hey, I couldn't talk to you about this there. He said, I have a lot to share with you, but you can't use my name. This cannot come back to me. And he basically goes on to tell Polites that there are not only way, way more disappearances happening in national parks than the National Park Service lets on, but he said a lot of these things are being covered up. So this is 2012, this isn't that long ago, this is only a decade ago. So this started Polites on a quest to find out if that were actually true. And so Polites' curiosity is peaked because once he starts to actually contact the National Park Service, they get very, very evasive and their cover stories that they give him are super sketchy. First, they try to tell him that they keep no records at all of missing persons in their parks which has to be a total lie because number one, the National Park Service is actually huge. Random trivia, it is one of only two branches of the federal government that are actually profitable. Can anybody name the other one? Once the, you hear it, you well, will. The IRS. There right? it is, the IRS. <laughs> so my, my sister works for the IRS. She takes a lot of flack being an IRS agent. Uh -huh. So like, she always hits me with that. Like, we're one <laughs> of only two branches that's actually profitable. But you have literally millions and millions of visitors every single year going through there. So to basically say, oh, we don't keep any record of that. So then Polites continues to press them. And they say, well, we could look that up but we would have to charge you for it. He said, okay, because he had a good career. I think he's fairly well off. Like, well, what would you charge me? And so they came back where they would charge him tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars for the manpower and hours needed to actually look up this info. So Polites then knows there's some type of cover-up. So he goes on his own quest. So this, what you see right here, is his first map that shows up in Missing 411 Western United States. And so these are not just all disappearances because understand an enormous amount of people go missing in the United States every single year. Ballpark estimate, around a quarter of a million people go missing in the United States every single year. It's way higher than people think. Now, in this presentation, I'm gonna give all sides to the story. So I'll show you some of the very, very mundane reasons people are reported as missing. But Polites was looking for certain special criteria. So here are some of the characteristics that distinguish a missing 411 case versus a regular disappearance. Number one, they are appearing in 28 clusters around the country. So if you look, the orange dots that Polites is showing are all national parks. So some of the biggest ones are out in the Western United States where we have like Yosemite in California. We also have in Tennessee, you can see Great Smoky Mountains National Park. So it's happening, excuse me, in one of these clusters. Now people, and as a parent of four young beautiful children, this terrifies me, particularly children, will often disappear in an instant, just like those airplanes and ships in the Bermuda Triangle, sometimes only feet away from family members. So this isn't like a parent being super duper negligent and losing track of their kid for a couple hours. In some of these cases, which are really, really terrifying, a parent is somewhere, a lot of times a national park, their child is right in front of them. Their child, and particularly young boys, this phenomena actually is more centered on young boys than young girls. Little boy runs ahead of them on a trail, disappears up over the hump of the hill. Parents get there a second later, boy is just totally gone. 
or there have been cases where a parent's kids are following behind them. Parent doesn't hear for a second, it's suddenly very quiet, they look back and the kid's just totally gone and they never find the child again. So stuff like this is upsetting to me because like I've been an avid outdoorsman hunter my entire life and especially probably for people here in the city of Pittsburgh, even though Pittsburgh is a fairly safe city, it's still a city and it has problems of a city. So. You know, when you get out to the country, to the rural area, you tend to think that's pretty safe. After reading up on Missing 411, I no longer feel safe out there. If my daughters and I are ever out in the woods, we're in a state park, a national park, I'm never letting them out of my sight. So number three, Polites, and I will give him credit, and I'll give a few negatives of Polites a little bit later on, but I'll give him credit. I do think he's a heck of a researcher. He has found random correlations, things that you would not expect. For example, kids frequently disappear in areas where there are berry patches. Now, for the first part of his career, up until a year or two ago, Polites did not speculate on what was causing the disappearances, but berry patches shows up. Whether you think that that's Bigfoot attracted to berry patches or something else, berry patches happens a lot. Boulder fields happens a lot. Um, Storms will immediately roll in after a disappearance. So in many of these cases, somebody goes missing, the weather was totally fine that day, and then as soon as they disappear, a huge storm rolls in. And the frustrating thing about that is that immediately hinders search and rescue efforts. Because I forget what the stat is off the top of my head, but if somebody goes missing, there is like an 80% chance they're found within the first 24 hours. If they're not found within the first 24 hours, then the chances of finding them alive drops dramatically. So when these huge storms roll in, particularly out on the West Coast, that right there can hinder the SAR team for up to a day. Now here's where things get really weird. If the body is found, and that's an if, because sometimes they're not, They will often appear in areas searched multiple times and they'll be found days later. So a search and rescue team has gone through that area many, many times, then all of a sudden the body is there. So before I go on, Fred, over the break, you were telling us that this phenomenon actually affected somebody you know. Would you mind giving that story? Well, they they had a relative that disappeared and, uh, you know, a big search was put on and uh, the body, you know, they finally, you know, called off the search or whatever. And then months later, you know, the body's there close to where it disappeared. But they know that they went over it several times, you know, yeah. and it just it, it wasn't there. But now it is insane and terrifying. So another characteristic search and rescue dogs either are unable to follow the trail. And I forget what the number is, but the amount of. <laughs> sense organs in the nose of a bloodhound compared to human beings is insane. Like, Mm -hmm. I think human beings have thousands, bloodhounds have millions, it's insane. They either can't follow the trail, they'll refuse to follow the trail, and these police dogs are very well trained. For them to refuse is highly unusual, or they'll start to follow it and they'll just start running around in circles. This consistently happens. If the bodies are found in a genuine 411 case, there's rarely ever evidence of physical trauma or sexual assault. And, you know, that's an important distinction to make because without going into too much detail, I think over the last couple of years, people have realized that child trafficking and sex trafficking 
is a way more massive problem than people ever realize. They used to think that was just a fringe thing, but it affects Hollywood. It affects politicians on both sides of the aisle in this country, in England, all around the world, these powerful people are connected. So initially you might think, well, these are probably victims of sex trafficking. In genuine 411 cases, the bodies are never touched in that way. Now, sometimes the victims are found alive but almost every single time, especially if it's a young child, they just have amnesia or missing time. They can't explain or describe where they actually were. There are one or two cases where the kids actually recalled being with a family of Bigfoots. People have actually, like, I've read enough Bigfoot books. They've recalled basically being taken into a den. There was a whole family of Bigfoots sitting around them, and then they were eventually taken back. But most of the time, these victims, in the rare event they're found alive, have no recollection of what actually happened. Can I ask a side note? Please. Uh, like, this whole Bigfoot thing, because that's never been something I've been super interested in, but, like, just on out of curiosity is like the general consensus among people that are interested in studying Bigfoot that they're like malicious creatures or are they often like more presumed to be like friendly? That's like a 50-50. If you hear about the old pioneers or gold, you know, gold people, sometimes they had a bad experience with them. Sometimes they saved their life. Mm-hmm. You can, I Just remember, like people. Yeah. I remember one that <laughs> talked about someone saw somebody, saw a, uh, what they thought was a person coming at them. They were picking berries. And all it was was a Bigfoot came, picked some berries from the bush they were and walked past them. You know, these are like stories from the Old West. Yeah. You know, okay. or you've got the cats that say, well, I was in my cabin and they threw rocks at us and, you know, yeah. stuff like that. But I mean, it's, and the Indians were afraid of them. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Indians had all their, their tales about them. I mean, it's, Probably hit and miss. They eat a lot of jerky and smell funny. <laughs> that's pretty much what I know about Bigfoot, right? Okay. You know, that's a good and question, though. Because when you when you first start hearing about Bigfoot, if you believe it, you think, oh, like it's probably just this native, like undiscovered ape that's out there. They're just trying to live their lives in these remote areas. People are intruding, but then. When you read up enough on this phenomenon, there are enough correlations of Bigfoots to some of these disappearances, or even beyond just the notion of like the noble mountain ape. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of eyewitness accounts that really support a multidimensional hypothesis for it, like Bigfoots coming in and out of UFOs, Bigfoots getting shot at, and then instead of dying, just bursting in a cloud of light and then they're gone or they're tracking Bigfoot footprints into the middle of a field and then the footprints just stop and it's gone so it's interesting because like when I first got into it I would have gone more with well like I think Bigfoots are friendly people might just get in the way but you know as Fred said probably about half the cases there's definitely like a malicious side to it as well So number eight, credit to Polites here. He figured this out, and I think that this makes a lot of sense. A lot of times these disappearances are happening in areas named after the devil, something evil, an area that was named by Native Americans a long time ago. And I think that that's really interesting because especially in our ever secular world today, kind of like the media sort of makes us forget for those who are spiritual that God exists. There's not much talk about the devil or that's considered like just folklore today. A lot of people today in surveys say they don't think the devil exists. But in a lot of these cases, and you can see some of the names up there, people are disappearing in these areas that are named after evil. So Polites' take is 
These areas were named after evil entities for a reason. The Native Americans who were here well, well before the white European settlers knew something was up with these areas. And just to kind of piggyback my own personal hypothesis, I look at where these national parks were actually made in the country. And I know you can read up on the official history of the national parks. Part of me at least wonders, even way back in the 1800s, did our government have some knowledge that something strange was going on in these areas? What if they were thinking, how in the world do we keep people from settling in these areas if we know that something is going on there? Right. Hey, if we designate this whole area a national park, then people can't actually settle there. But interesting bit of research on Polites' part. So I always tell my students, if we do talk missing for a while, I say, hey, I said, take these names very, very seriously. Almost every community has something named after the devil or evil. I said, if it is, be really, really careful going there. Well, the Kill Devil Hills is um, in the Outer Banks. And yeah. I've done some vacationing down there, and it's like uh, just freaky to drive past the signs. I mean, I never, never went in there, but yeah. And I'm pretty, I've am pretty. i been there, too. <laughs> Isn't that where the Wright brothers officially flew? Because they always call it Kitty Hawk. Wasn't it actually yeah. Kill Devil Hills where I they believe did so. it? Yeah. I believe so. <laughs> So number nine is going to sound familiar to you because we just talked about Bermuda Triangle. Think about Flight 19 disappearing. They could still hear the men, but then it just got fainter and fainter. So one of the most upsetting things, and as a parent, I put myself in these shoes, is the kid is gone. They can still hear the kid. They're talking to the kid but they just can't find them anywhere. And then the son or daughter's voice is just getting fainter and fainter and fainter, and it kind of disappears. And so if that sounds like something right out of the Netflix series, Stranger Things, we'll touch on that in just a little bit. Good reference. Thank you. Yes. Now, number 10, this is what really sets these cases apart. The bodies that are found, whether the child is alive or dead, and it's not always children, but these are the most spectacular ones. They are finally found thousands of feet higher in elevation and sometimes miles away from where they actually disappeared. And if you actually get into it, they can show you the actual math. Sometimes these poor kids are found 10 miles away, 15 miles away, even 20 miles away. And so some of these kids are so little, they're two, three, four years old. It is physically impossible. It would be physically impossible for a trained mountaineer to cover those distances. The other interesting thing is they are found uphill because most adults know if you get lost out in the woods, find a stream, a creek, a river, follow it downhill. But from reading up on the psychology of survival, there is a basic natural human instinct to go downhill. And so these people being found thousands of feet higher in elevation, that goes against all natural human instinct. Sometimes, especially out in the Western US where some of these peaks stay snow covered well into summertime, the bodies are actually found through snow drifts that are higher than the person themselves. And they're just wearing casual clothes and shoes and the footprints through the drifts are never found. So it's almost like they were picked up one place transported some distance and then dropped another place. So remember that because that's going to come into one of the most chilling disappearances of a Pennsylvania man that I've ever seen. So just a little bit on Polites. Up until the last year or two, 
he never speculated on what was causing these disappearances and it drove people nuts. So to give the full gamut could be for a couple reasons. Maybe David Polites was being super scientific and didn't want to jump to any conclusions. If you actually read one of his books, it, it's terrifying, but it's also redundant. He's telling you about so many cases, but doesn't speculate why. Maybe he wants to leave it up to the readers. Or what about number two? If he's concerned with financial gain, maybe he really wants to sell books. So if he finally came out and said, you know what? I began as a Bigfoot researcher. I really believe this is Bigfoot. Then any of his fans who were reading because maybe they thought it was the alien abduction angle or the time slip angle finally says, ah, you know what? This is just a Bigfoot guy. I'm going to stop reading. Or maybe number three, it's because David Polites, can I say this on the air? Is a gigantic tool. So... Do we have time for my own personal David Polites story? We do. And you can have the COSA Law Group advise you on whether or not to keep this in the final broadcast. So as some people know from watching the show, I've presented a number of MUFON state conferences over the years at Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. By the way, quick aside, not to like flex on the show, I just got invited to present at the MUFON National Conference, which is in Cincinnati this year. Thank you. It's August 24th, 25th, 26th, 27th. So one of the frustrating things is they scheduled the darn thing right when school was starting back. So they basically were like, yeah, we told the director, like, you can't do that again because you're going to lose so many young people. Right. But I'm actually doing like the astronomy training. So, oh, right on. Yeah, so that should awesome. be pretty cool. That's exciting. So I got to meet David Polites. It was one year. I don't think I was presenting at this conference. It was in Pittsburgh. They had brought him in. And this was probably, I don't know, probably like six, seven years ago, but like Polites was already a name, so people were pretty excited to see him. So as soon as the dude came in, I thought, okay, like fame is already getting this guy. Like you have this vision of like this like grizzled police detective. He comes in in like a couple hundred dollar affliction jeans. Oh boy. Like everything is manicured, everything is on point. So when he started to take questions, I kind of wanted to show that I was a fan and like I respected his work. So I asked him something that showed up in the first Missing 411 movie. Prior to this conference that Polites was at, I watched the movie and honestly, I was a little bit disappointed. They didn't show some of the more extreme cases like that younger couple they showed. It was a really sad case. They were vacationing with their young son I think his name was like Dior, his, their son Dior. And they were with the mom's father and then one of his friends. But as they show the case in the movie, it could have been a number of things. Like the little boy disappears, but it turned out the grandfather was super shady. And the friend he brought with him was super shady. And then the parents were like a little bit shady. So I thought, I'm going to ask a really good question. So it became time for Polites to do the Q&A. And I raised my hand because it made me think of, if any of you are familiar with the X-Files movies, Mm -hmm. the first one was awesome. The second one wasn't very good because it was almost like just like a modern serial killer movie. Like they tried to make money to make it more appealing to a massive audience rather than just that niche. So I asked David Plays, I said, hey, watch this movie. And I said, it was good, but the disappearances you covered weren't some of your more extreme ones. Was that intentionally done so that you could bring this to a wider audience? I thought that was a fair, like, respectful question. Well, Polites gets all jacked. He goes, why? 
why do you think any of those cases were any less unusual than any of the other ones? I said, well, like, you know, they weren't cases where like somebody disappears and showed up a couple mountain ranges over. He's like, no, you're wrong. All of those cases were just as unusual as the other ones. So like, he really went off on me. I think, Man, what's with this guy? So later on, <laughs> since like I, I'm pretty good friends with like the conference organizers, we're sitting at the dinner that night. And so Polites is at my table. I'm thinking like, okay, like maybe I just caught the guy at a bad time. Maybe he'll be like super cool in person. Entire time, and I understand there's only like six of us sitting at this table. It's not like a huge table. Whole time, Polites won't even look at me, won't even acknowledge that I'm at the table. So I'm sitting beside like his girlfriend or his wife and like she was super nice, like super nice. And I was just gonna ask him like, hey, what type of child finders do you recommend? Because we had talked about airplanes and ships having transponders. They basically make personal transponders that you can wear. And if you read any of his books, he totally recommends them. Like mm -hmm. don't go out in the woods unless you have one of these things on. And I mentioned it to his wife and she was super sweet. She's like, it's okay, David just gets overwhelmed at these things. I'll ask him after the fact, just give me your email address. He'll email you his recommendations. I was like, all right, cool. Like maybe I just caught this guy at a bad time. Like maybe the guy's super cool. Yeah. So then like a couple weeks pass. Finally, to her credit, she emails me. She goes, I talked to David. David won't give you a recommendation. He said, just read up online and make your own choice. I was like, oh, Pilates. What the heck? <laughs> you put him off. That's he a was Seinfeld like, moment. He was like, don't question my choice of oh missing people. Like, <laughs> so, I mean, in one, on one hand, I totally respect this guy's research, but oh my gosh, meeting this guy in person. Like, He's a tool. David Aww. Pilates thinks David Pilates is a super big deal. So for anybody <laughs> watching or listening, just be careful he, if you meet I him mean, in person. I mean, if you look at that picture, he kind of looks like he well, thinks we'll never he's a big deal. How, how, long, how, long, how long ago was that exchange? I would say it's probably it's probably like six, seven years ago. Okay. And that was before like he even got like bigger. Well, so. I was going to say, if it was like recent, I was saying he's still wearing affliction clothing. He's definitely a tool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I thought about that too. <laughs> So some possible culprits. Side now, note, though, I yeah. do I do like affliction clothes. I'm like, I figured that you. Right, would. Sorry, it's okay. I'm sorry. I'm They're sorry. very shiny. Okay. Still, <laughs> kind of. So some possible culprits. Now these ones are not from Polites. Now I will say I'll bring up a year or two ago he finally broke rank and wrote a book about one of these, and I'll point out which one a little bit. But this is basically like me chiming in here. So could it actually be Bigfoot? For starters, this is where Polites begins his research. There are a surprising number of stories of people being taken away by Bigfoot, and then some of them are returned. And as I mentioned, there are a number of accounts about Bigfoot actually being multidimensional. There are even a surprising amount of cases about Bigfoots and UFOs being together. So one researcher that I know named Stan Gordon wrote an interesting book like Polides' books. It's a little bit dry, but it was just hardcore research. It was called Silent Invasion, the Pennsylvania UFO Bigfoot Phenomenon. And it turns out back in the 1970s into the 80s, all around this part of the state, the Pittsburgh area, there were a huge amount of UFO cases that also involved Bigfoot. And they went over into Ohio. Some came as far to the east as Altoona, where I live. And in a number of these cases, for example, 
Eyewitnesses would see Bigfoot disappear into a grove of trees. Then a few minutes later, they'd see a UFO take up out of that grove of trees. Hmm. Or on the flip side, people would see a UFO. It would depart. They would go out to the area the next day and they would find Bigfoot footprints. So stories like that are fascinating to me because it kind of shows if Bigfoot is real, there's a lot more to it than just like some undiscovered species of ape. So number two could it actually be alien abduction? So notice in a lot of these cases, body disappears, then it shows back up in an area that's already been searched, or it'll show up in a mountain range, a couple mountain ranges over. So could an advanced civilization be collectors? Now brace yourself, this is one of the more terrifying series of UFO drawings you will ever, ever see. This comes from the scariest book I have ever tried to read on extraterrestrials. I got it out of the Altoona Public Library, and full disclosure, even me with as desensitized as I am to UFOs, I could not finish it. It was called The Watchers. And you it brought was, this up before, didn't you? I probably have. Okay. Now yeah, you get yeah. to see some actual drawings from it. This was a series of hypnotic regressions from a woman named Betty Andreessen, who was an experiencer. Now, up top, you see a painting. This was kind of terrifying. Her first abduction, she was not alone. She was with multiple family members. It was not even nighttime, and she claimed that the whole rest of her family went into a state of suspended animation. The aliens, described as greys, essentially came right through her doors and walls and took her away. Now, this continued over many, many years, and Andreasen was a gifted artist. And so part of what makes the book terrifying is not only are her actual regression accounts put in there, but then she actually made drawings of her encounters. Now, some of them were highly spiritual. Some of them had secular symbolism, like images of a phoenix rising from ashes. She believed she actually met God. But then some are actually very, very alarming. She also described seeing hybrid beings that were in a series of different tanks, like they were being grown. And then this is the one that scared me, and this is why I brought it up. This is maybe the most terrifying eyewitness account I have ever seen. She described one time being on a ship, and she said she was essentially inside what looked like a museum. And she said the museum was a museum of us. She said the extraterrestrials had basically collected people from many different times, from many different cultures. You can see in her drawing there. And they were basically in glass cases in a suspended state of animation. And that was just terrifying to me because I think, you know, as humans, we actually have so many zoos out there. Like we were planning on taking our kids to the Pittsburgh Zoo tomorrow. And so we don't think anything of keeping animals on display for people. But I think to myself, if there are higher civilizations out there, would they really be opposed to collecting us and actually putting us on display? Isn't there a very famous uh, Twilight Zone episode about that? Very famous <laughs> Twilight Zone episode where they go to another planet and they are put into uh, an apartment that looks very similar to uh, an Earth apartment, and they, you know, the... the it's a book on how to cook humans. It's a cookbook. Well, that was a different one. That's a different one. <laughs> this, this one is that they, they actually, they actually 
went to another planet and these astronauts were hospitality was there and they actually gave them living quarters that they emulated that would make them feel at home and after they get them in there they realize that there's the windows were all fake and the doors were all fake and then they they see that the one wall becomes clear and everyone out there is gawking at them they're actually the exhibit and they can't get out yeah, it's a, it's a twi- it's a very famous Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone oh was way God. ahead of its time. Yeah, way that ahead of freaked its time. me out. That one really freaked me out. Or that reminds me of. Do you guys remember the movie The Truman Show with Jim Carrey? Yes. Yeah, I love that oh, movie. Really good. Yeah, you oh never knew whether to laugh in there or be horrified. Right? You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Like, exactly. or, or feel bad. I mean, exactly. It, it tugged on your emotions on so many yeah, different ways. Yeah, I feel. I agree because I feel like a lot of those movies are so psychological that you don't really get that emotional component of like right. what the ramifications of something like that would actually do to a human being. So like, yeah, absolutely. I, but, I agree. And, and the time that was made it was the late '90s, I think, or early 2000s. Yeah, because oh, I watched. Show. I watched yeah, it in high and at school. that time, that was kind of before reality TV was a real deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had like the thing on MTV or whatever, but in terms of like a lot of, you know, not big sets and things, I, I said to myself, it's just so grandiose. There's no, there's no way we could actually create something like that. Can't be done. Right now, as I sit here, twenty Ooh. years later, I mm-hmm. absolutely think that they wanted to do something like that. They absolutely could do it. Yeah, yeah. the apps we have, we have the technology to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. way ahead of the time. So just to strengthen the alien abduction case, one of these happened very close to home. And this one to this day is still upsetting to me. Fred, have you heard about the Todd C's abduction? I have. <sighs> I knew you would. <laughs> you looks guys like, are looks so like my cute. senior picture right there. <laughs> oh, my God. Fred, can you give us any Cliff's Notes version on Todd C's? Well, Cliff Notes is, is all the best I can do because I don't know the, all the facts and, and figures. But uh, he was a hunter, correct? And he, he went was. out. He went out hunting, and uh, and he disappeared, or did he? So cats out there, and uh, I guess supposedly some little aliens were flying by, and they they pick him up. All right, and he's he's gone, you know. And the reason I say aliens pick him up wasn't he saw from a riverboat or yes. a train or a river. Yes. So they actually see this cat who's out hunting in the mountains and they see him rise above everything and he's gone. All right. So they send out search and rescue and they look over and over and over and over. And I can't remember what they find a boot or some shit, but they actually find him up in the tree. Right. When they found the boot up in the tree. Yeah, the boot. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it was like, there was no way he could ever gotten there. But, uh, yeah, he was dead. And where they find him? They, they found him down at the bottom of the mountain in an area search multiple times. They, but they had gone over this search area multiple times, yeah, many, many times. Yeah. So the cat was picked up. They saw him go up. You know, it's like Travis Walt. Yeah, it, it close. And the Travis Walt. he reappeared. Walt, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, a, it's like the same thing. They're out in the woods. Cat's only I supposed to be out there for a little bit. You know. He disappears. They find his boot. You know, it, it, Todd, tall, tall Todd sees death. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I was thinking. I was just going to comment on the same that's thing. Like, like his, his name is like even like freaky. his name is Todd sees. Yeah. So this was 2002. Now Northumberland, Pennsylvania. If anybody has ever been to Knobles Amusement Park, which is amazing, it's one of our favorites. It's in that part of the state. It's near Sunbury, so it's kind of like 
eastern central Pennsylvania. Hmm. So you can see he, he was a younger guy. I don't even think he was 40 yet. And part of what's alarming is he was doing something that so many men throughout Pennsylvania do. He was just out scouting for deer. So he's a family man. He had young kids at home and they lived down at the base of Montour Ridge. And I believe it was on a Sunday morning. So hunting season wasn't in yet, but he got on his quad, told his wife he was just going up the ridge to scout for the upcoming deer season, never actually returns. So a search party goes out later that day. And so then the body mysteriously appears near where he disappeared days later in a site that had already been searched multiple times. He leaves fully clothed. When he's found, he's nearly naked. He's only found in his underwear. And then as Fred alluded to, Fred was exactly right. One of his boots was found up at the top of the ridge in the top of a huge tree. I think the boot was 50 to 70 feet high. And I always, you know, tell students if I do share the story, because this is a tough one. I say, you know, back in the day, like I played college baseball for a couple of years, like at my peak, I could throw a baseball about the length of a football field, right. but that's a baseball. It's small. It's aerodynamic. To take a heavy hunting boot and to try to chuck that thing straight up 50 to 70 feet high in the top of a tree, you'd never actually be able yeah. to do it. And that's what was found, the boot in the top of the tree. He had to be lifted up. So what's really weird is how the authorities actually respond. And I have researched this case a number of times because little side story in MUFON, Pennsylvania, Mutual UFO Network, this case is highly contentious because once you get into MUFON, there's some politics involved and some of the bigger names do not like each other. So the man that actually made his name by researching this case is not liked by some of the other people. So when I would bring this case up at MUFON, sometimes people would be like, oh no, like that's crap, like that you know, that wasn't crazy. They found that guy from the start. So one time I was together with some of the MUFON bigwigs and one of the guys was a current police officer and said, hey, I know so-and-so over there in Northumberland. Why don't I give them a call right now? And the guy's like, yeah, just call them. They'll tell you the whole thing's crap. So he puts the guy on speakerphone, the police sergeant in that area. And the sergeant's like, yeah, that happened. He's like, we don't know what actually happened. So if you read online that this was total garbage, like I actually heard live from the man in charge out there, like, yeah, what you read was actually true. We don't know what happened. So the FBI descends on the scene after the body is found. And then here's the really upsetting part. They wouldn't even allow the family to see the body for weeks. I had read that they took the body to nearby Letterkenny Army Depot. So right away, like I try to put myself in the shoes of Todd Seas' young wife. Like you just found out your husband disappeared and is now dead. You have no idea why. You are already a widow before you're 40 years old. You know that you have to raise your kids on your own. And on top of that, the FBI won't even give you closure. They won't let you see the body. Black military helicopters appear, but interestingly, only after the body is found. So they weren't actually part of the SN SAR efforts. The body itself 
what I read online, the FBI and the gall of them to insist to the wife that she have a closed casket funeral. So people were never given closure to be able to see his body. Now, initially the police ruled it a cocaine overdose. Some people speculated that Todd Sees was going up the ridge to meet his drug dealer. And I sort of say, you know what, like I've never done drugs. I'm not in the drug culture, but the idea of telling your dealer, hey, get up early Sunday morning. Let's go way up to the top of this ridge. I'll drive my quad up and let's do the deal right there. Especially for cocaine. I just feel like yeah. it's, it's not that type of a drug. Right. You know what I mean? I just is, that. Like, like the branding just is way off here. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like cemeteries or like back rooms in a bar or something like that. Not that yeah, I know. Like, or, or disco tech. <laughs> or disco, yeah. <laughs> Plus the, the autopsy that the police were actually allowed to do there was no sign of drugs actually in the autopsy at all. And so as Fred- So where did they like say that they came up with this anyway? Like what was their like official, like how we came up with this theory? From what I read, the police basically said that it was a drug overdose, but then the autopsy results came back and they're like, oh, sorry, our mistake. Like, I guess it wasn't a drug overdose. So to me, you know, it, it speaks to being heavily pressured to say something because sure. from what I read, the police genuinely tried to do an investigation, but anytime you're at the local or state level and then federal agencies or law enforcement come in, they, they automatically overrule oh, it. There's no nothing question. you can actually do. No One of the things that's uh, with a lot of these 411s is the FBI, the FBI rarely gets involved. Mm-hmm. At, the, at the very beginning of it, you have to hit a, a certain criteria, even right. for kids. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. because they don't, they don't list adults as missing. You know, the FBI, you know, doesn't do it. So, for the FBI to come out for this, it, I mean, something there was there were certain special circumstances. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so, as Fred alluded to. There were multiple eyewitnesses, farmers and then fishermen on the nearby Susquehanna saw a UFO that morning and said they saw something, they couldn't tell what, something was actually pulled up into a big light. So there's Montour Ridge, there's where he disappeared. You can see how close it is to the Susquehanna. So I found different maps because this is pretty well known. So you see the Seas property, it's at the base of Montour Ridge. And then he disappears up the top of Montour Ridge, but it's clearly in view there of the Susquehanna. So interestingly, as far as I know, Polites has never actually investigated this one. I think people have asked him about it and he said, no, it doesn't meet all the criteria. But from my end, I think it definitely does. It was a random disappearance, bloodhounds wouldn't track, The body was later found in an area that was searched multiple times. No trauma, no abuse to the body. You've got potential cover-up and then linked to a UFO activity. So that was a pretty wild one. So did his wife ever get to see the body? Like I know they said that it had to be a closed casket, but was she ever allowed to? That's a great question. Now, from everything I've read, and there's a lot of skeptics in MUFON that say, no, no, that was reported wrong and everything like that. From everything I've read, they never allowed her to really see it for an extended period of time. And they insisted on a closed cast. Somebody must have seen it long enough. Like, I believe the police did an autopsy to confirm that there weren't narcotics in his blood, but they were not allowed to see it. So that's that's a pretty upsetting one right there. No doubt. So some other possibilities. What if it wasn't getting pulled up by aliens? What if it was getting pulled down by aliens? 
And so we could get into this a little more next time if we talked underground bases. But for anybody who's into ufology, there are not just the legendary gray aliens out there. Yes, yes. So that first shows up in, was that Journey to the Center of the Earth, I believe, Jules Verne. That was my nickname when I was little, by the way. Sleestack? No, Jules Verne. Oh, okay, that's way like, better. Like, wow, that's... <laughs> Very degrading. That has nothing to do with your name. <laughs> Sleestack, your nickname. I'm going to grow it up. I don't even know what that means, so hopefully that's not a derogatory Land of the Lost, yeah, Hanna-Barbera, right? 70s. Look it up. The, they're, they're right there, the Sleestack. Okay. So the general just there is that we were not actually the first, that there was either another advanced species here first, or not all the dinosaurs went extinct and actually evolved and got more advanced. So in this hypothesis, there are more advanced beings living underground. We are here on the surface, basically using us like cattle. They come in and take what they need to when they need to. And there's been lots of legends right there. You can see, I think that's an article from the LA Times. There have been so many rumors about underground caves and catacombs underneath Los Angeles. And I was talking to Fred. The Dulce. The Dulce. Uh, oh, New yeah. Mexico. New Mexico. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. We had, Fred and I were talking over break. I just saw the other day. I should have put the visual in. If you overlay the map of Missing 411 with the map of large underground cavern systems in the United States, it's an eerie similarity there. Uh. Fred, when you're out in L.A. here in a couple weeks, maybe you can check on these underground caverns Well, I was thinking about that because they have all those sinkholes because of all the rain, but I was going to go down and check out a storm drain or two, see see what's down in there. Don't go alone. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, seriously. We need you for the next show. So... What if these are dimensional windows? And I kind of touched upon this in the Bermuda Triangle portion, but a lot of physicists today, and it's funny because the writers of the 50s and 60s, the ideas they were putting out, physicists are now coming around to them through the back door. But the multiverse today is being taken very, very seriously. Mm -hmm. Our universe is but one of many. Look at the soap bubble analogy there to the right. Basically, in this idea, you could have separate universes, but just like two bubbles in soapy water temporarily touch up against each other and join, it could be inadvertent, accidental. Another universe touches up against our own, a parallel timeline. Somebody accidentally steps across, and then they separate and they can't get back. So I had mentioned Stranger mm. Things. So another idea I threw out, because it's very popular in Stranger Things, is the upside down. Julia, can for anybody that hasn't watched Stranger Things, could you describe the concept of the upside down? Well, it's like a, it's basically just like another, you know, universe or like world that's kind of like overlaid on ours but like under ours and like it's it's all and there's a there's definitely a malevolence to this too because i feel like in this you know world there's usually kind of like a i don't even know if they would portray it as demonic but just more like a you know just a kind of like malevolent force that's you know trying to kind of like absorb the essence of these children that kind of stumble their way into this this place and uh like it mirrors the world that they live in, but it's like it's almost like the idea that there are like these like like vortexes or like you know kind of like peak points that kind of create these. Um, and what was it? Hawkins? That's like yeah, where they're Hawkins, from. Yeah. That that like is you know kind of like the the area that is being mirrored in the upside yeah. down, but it's not like that everywhere necessarily. Right. That's but then with the bubble theory, that would make sense because like those bubbles would only be touching on certain 
yeah, spot. Right? So yeah. Like when I think back to Bermuda Triangle, the pilots describing I'm over this island, the shape of the island is right, but none of the stuff is actually there. Mm-hmm. It's you know, this idea I kind of threw out because Netflix made it popular. It's pretty similar to idea four, but basically the idea of a parallel world line or a reverse polarity one from our own. All right, now this is freaking terrifying. Could it be traps by hunters from a more advanced civilization? I watched some, have we talked about remote viewing on this show at all? Here and there. Okay, good. So I already knew some guy. Yeah, Harry. So I watched one where it was remote viewers remotely view missing 411. I thought, oh my gosh, that's going to be interesting. Hmm. And they said, the impression they got from remote viewing some of the more prominent disappearances was there was a trap set in the woods. Somebody walked into it, there was a snapping sound, and then the emotion of, aha, gotcha. And what was scary is months after I watched that, I was watching one of the Missing 411 Hunters movies, and I'll show you the clip. And a man disappears while he and his family members are driving for deer. And they said, at the spot where he disappeared, they said all they could describe was a loud snapping sound like a trap actually shutting. And that made me think about this. I added this for an astronomy club conspiracy day one time because teenagers are into this. Have you guys heard about the enigma of stairways in the woods? Mm -hmm. Eric, just a little bit on it? I can't speak on it, but I've heard of it. So the basic gist, and it's freaking terrifying. It's a recent conspiracy that, now I say recent, but there have been accounts for centuries. You're walking through the woods and all of a sudden, right in the middle of the woods, there's simply a staircase. And it's different because it's not like there's a decayed house foundation around it. It's only the stairs are actually left. Mm -hmm. And based on the stories, I basically told my students, look, in the rarest of events that you are out there and you see some totally out of place stairway, do not actually climb it. So here are some of the characteristics of stairways in the woods. The stairs are totally out of place. So the rest of the woods, especially if it's in like a dark pine forest, there's moss, there's like the smell of decay. The stairs are unusually clean or new meticulous. Even if the rest of the woods are dirty, these are totally spot free. They often appear when the person is alone. A lot of times the stairs are ornate. They have fancy designs on them and the person not only feels drawn to them, but then as they're approaching them, they have a real feeling of dread. So they get nausea and disorientation when they get close. And then what's interesting is people who were nearby now look like they're much farther away when turning around at the stairs. So you're with a couple friends, you're brave enough to walk over to the stairs, you get to them, and then when you turn around, the rest of your friends are way farther away than you actually thought. So wait, has any of this actually been like documented at all? Like there, You can find videos online where they talk about some famous ones, but to your point, in terms of somebody walking into the woods with their cell phone, a camcorder, and ever actually like recording one, like look at this crazy thing, that's never happened. Okay. So like, is it just an urban legend or is it something more? What I found fascinating, and I had only found out about this because teenagers said, hey, that's a conspiracy we wanna hear about. For people who started to walk up the stairs, they said the rest of the sound started to get muffled or they describe it as t- 
tinny, like the sound of metallic tin. So similar to what we talked about with Bermuda Triangle, everything around you starts to get muffled or different. And then witnesses describe when they start to get to the top, the sound was coming to a point, almost like a convergence. Think back to Bruce Gernon. On these stairs, we have similar descriptions of time dilation or time slips. And then people think they're only on the stairs for a couple of moments. But for those who are wise enough to step back off the stairs, according to stories from history, a long period of time has actually passed. Wait a minute. Okay, when when, when has this been happening? Like, is this is this a new like? Wh- how are like how are young okay. kids even familiar with this? Right. So that's a great question. This is one of those things where if you look back through history, there are historical accounts dating back hundreds of years. Okay. But teenagers are just getting into it now on social media. Okay. So it's kind of like so this isn't something that's being purported as happening recently. I think if you look, if you read up on it, there are modern accounts, but there's an ancient component. It's basically getting attention now because teenagers are into it on social media. So it's being talked modern, about. like as in like the last 10 years or like, yes. okay. Yes. Cause like I feel like times. to me, like the reason this like struck me is kind of like, eh, because I'm like, if this just started happening recently, like every kid with a cell phone would be videotaping it because they would all have a cell phone. Well, you know, what's interesting and that's a great point. And I think skeptically we could say, you know what, maybe a lot of these are urban legends because today, why aren't people filming it? But for- well, if it happened a while ago, then in there, and it's just getting popularity, then that makes sense. But if they're saying it happened like recently, like what kid that's out in a group with their friends doesn't have right. their cell phone and wouldn't- All I can counter with is from being a MUFON investigator over seven, eight years, you get really good cases. And a lot of times you're like, did you try to record it at all? And a lot of times people are like, you know what? I just didn't think about it until after it was already over. Or they try to record it and their cell phone goes dead. Or they try to record it and it's inconclusive. Now, I didn't want to diverge too much in stairways into the woods. But my point in bringing this up is, is this an example of a trap that's actually being set out to entice human beings? Because us as humans, we trap animals. We leave lures and baits and food for animals, but we never really think about the possibility of other civilizations doing that for us. So there are some famous ones to what you had asked earlier, Julia. There are some in Cambodia, Italy, the United States. You can see this really is a global phenomena. Mm-hmm. There's even one in the Philippines, this is pretty terrifying, called the Staircase of Missing Time. And so a man climbs it, he meets an unfriendly dog. He thought he was only gone a few hours. When he returns home, he realizes he had been fired from his job and his wife had remarried because he was gone for five years. There's even actually a story in the Old Testament of the Bible, and I forget whether it's in the book of Job, but they send a kid out into an orchard or a vineyard to get food for dinner. Kid doesn't come back. Later in the Old Testament, the kid comes back and the people are like, oh my gosh, who are you? And they realize, oh, you were that kid. You disappeared decades ago. So even in the Old Testament, there's actually something about that. When did that Philippines one supposedly take place? Like what year around about? I forget. Okay. Yeah, I'm just it's, it's, it's definitely modern times. Okay. So just to kind of wrap this up, just to try to give the more skeptical aspects, could some of this have been 
foul play or could it have been sensational research? So some of the cases do have characteristics of more standard homicides. And think about natural parks, especially out west. They're rustic, they're beautiful, but a lot of them have steep drop-offs, ravines. Some of these things are in rugged and remote terrain. People are out there hiking by themselves. Polites also does have his share of critics, not just me who met him personally and was robbed the wrong way, but a lot of people are not totally fans of his research. For example, one thing that caught me in his first book, even though it's missing 411 Western United States, he mentions, he says, there are so many disappearances in Pennsylvania, I could write an entire book just about Pennsylvania. And me as a parent of four young kids, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that's terrifying because we love the outdoors. So I started to separately research all these missing 411s in Pennsylvania. I could hardly find any at all. The only unexplained disappearances I could find in Pennsylvania took place way back in the mid 1970s. So what actually happened? Was there a serial killer back then that wasn't caught? Or was there a genuine phenomenon, but for whatever reason in Pennsylvania, it hasn't happened for like the past 40 years. So I did just want to point out, you do have to be careful because I think in at least some of these instances, Polites is maybe linking together unrelated phenomenon to look like a bigger picture. So just wrapping up, in this day and age, we definitely can't rule out that some of this is from human trafficking or the child sex trade. If you just look at Franklin Credit Union Scandal, Pizzagate, Jerry Sandusky, Catholic Church. We are definitely seeing, and it's upsetting, children are huge targets, even here in America. And it's not just children. Did you guys hear? Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. And I think I made this before the whole Epstein thing totally blew up. Or Fred, did you hear about the the skier that disappeared in New England? He was skiing with his friends. It was a grown man. He decided to go on one more run and then he totally vanishes. Then a couple days later, he calls his wife from a brand new cell phone, but he's totally disoriented. He says he doesn't know where he was. They were able to trace the call and he showed up up around Seattle, Washington. So he was skiing in New England, disappears, what? and then he shows up in Seattle, Washington. Like all the way across the country. Whole way across the country. And this is a confirmed case. Even the media covered it, the national media. And so, he was drugged and disoriented. He had a new phone. He had a new haircut. And all he could remember was being inside a big rig. And at one point, it went through Utah. He had some recollection of going through Utah, and then he blanked back out. And so I bring that case up just to show, like, there is a major human trafficking element going on even right here in this country, and people don't realize it. But in the case of missing 411, that does not seem to be the case. Anytime these victims are found, never once have they actually been victim of some type of sexual assault. And honestly, if you had a sexual predator, he or she is not going to go out into the remotest part of a national park and wait for people out there. So could it be some government black budget program, underground bases, brainwashing? A lot of these cases do involve the element of the mysterious black helicopters. Some of them do take place around rumored dumbs, deep underground military bases. And few of the people, when they are found alive, they don't have any recollection of their missing time. So you see that a lot in alien abductions. You see that with hypnosis, the legend of missing time. So what is there like when people talk about that whole concept of just like brainwashing like mm-hmm. is the idea that if there is some sort of uh, you know 
conspiracy of like government abduction essentially and like brainwashing people that they're being utilized in any particular capacity or is it just like the idea that like well like we just needed you for a few hours days weeks whatever like what like what is the consensus on that i would say fred you want speak real quick about mk ultra because i think that's when it really started well, yeah, I know it's like the assassin stuff, but I'm saying like in, in like recent times, right. like is that still kind of the idea that people are being used as like more like in like that capacity? I would I would definitely say there's the the mental hypnosis aspect. Mm-hmm. There is sometimes the genetic sampling aspect. I would say, and then some people would argue this is going on a lot more than people think. We are just seeing the couple survivors that through dumb luck, through some accident, are able to actually get out. Yeah, that's, I mean, there are terrifying cases that have come out of the legendary Dulce base, but we could save those till next time. And then just to show the full spectrum, there are traditional causes. I had mentioned a number earlier that about a quarter of a million people go totally missing in the United States every single year, which is really, really high. But understand the actual number is even higher. Millions of people are reported missing every year, but at least for child cases, it could be abduction from a family member if a husband and wife have a custody dispute, runaways, or a lot of times a family will report a kid missing and then some other family member had him or their friends had him. But then the mistake they make is they don't call back in to close the report. So you have all these out there. So 99.99% of missing children cases fall into these three categories. So understand with missing 411, we are talking about the fringiest of the fringe, Mm -hmm. but it's also very, very alarming. And she said it was hopping from tree to tree. That was a pretty terrifying one. She was actually hunting deer by herself, but she was an experienced hunter, in a tree stand in Ohio. And she lived on the outskirts of a town. There was a high school football field nearby. It was late afternoon. It was archery season. And she said all of a sudden she had a chill go up her spine and she got goosebumps because she said everything around the woods suddenly got totally quiet. She said the bird stopped. Everything just came to a stop. And she said, swinging through the trees in front of her, she could see basically a distortion, almost like a mirage. Like if you're familiar with Predator movies, where the predator is invisible and you can just see the ripple, that's what she actually saw. And while that was going on, the nearby high school band that was practicing on a football field had a UFO sighting up in the sky. So mm-hmm. it is, in my personal opinion, sorry, David Polites, I think Missing 411, The Hunters, is not only done a lot better, but it gives a much more genuine look at the true strangeness of the Missing 411 phenomenon. So mm-hmm. I would highly recommend it. Wow. Yeah. So just kind of wrapping up. So even though the overall number of weird cases might be 0.01% of the disappearances, there's what Charles Fort would have called back in the day a level of high strangeness. There's multiple links to other paranormal phenomena. You've got things that resemble alien abductions. You've got Bigfoot. You've got disappearances that seem like the Bermuda Triangle. And then me, I always put myself in the shoes of the grieving families. I think, you know, I've actually read it is worse to have a loved one just completely vanish without a trace than a loved one being killed. And initially you might think, well, how could that be? There's still a chance. But as the years pass- Yeah, there's no closure. There's Mm -hmm. zero closure at all. So they just have no idea what happened. And sometimes what's super frustrating, the authorities, the law enforcement who you should trust, they almost seem like they're there because they're complicit in the cover up. 
And so it's it's really a strange phenomenon. So, I mean, props to David Pelaez, even though my in-person experience with him was very negative and that disappointed me, I do think the actual research is interesting. And had he not started to connect the dots, who knows how many years it would have taken until somebody oh, for did. sure. Hmm. Huh. Interesting. This is good. Yeah, this was a good one. Uh, yeah, it's a really I agree. good one. Yeah. You're right. It was right. good. Yeah, it was really good. When I was uh, in the hotel room last night, I was like cobbling together like different parts of different presentations. I was like, ah, oh, this might be the first one that falls flat. I don't no. know if we have no. nothing. Like we started at like 4.30 here. It's almost <laughs> like 7.30. And it's worked out really good. Yeah, this was a good one. I just feel bad though. I feel like I talk, like I really like coming here to we're just here like talk pre- to you guys. We do. Though. Yeah, yeah, we but, do though. We, no, I, this I like, like to hear you talk about I would about say it. we're here to learn. Like, you know, like we're like, you know, it's like, having like kind of you know a little bit of like an in-studio uh, audience yeah. and like yeah. you know um what a like classroom kind of uh-huh. you know what i mean uh-huh. but at the same time like i agree like i'm glad that i didn't know anything about like and so like what's 401 is that like the is that the code for missing persons yes. okay great question that's uh, that's kind of like and i didn't know that going in so i figured we were going to talk about something with relation to missing persons yes. but like i feel like that's the fun part too is that like you know for me a lot of times i don't have time to go through this and i'm not the expert that fred is like <laughs> I just like to listen. No, but this is I it, like I'm. That's part of why I ask so many questions because it's like I don't know. Like Fred uh, has a lot of downtime on tour buses. Yeah, uh, too, man. So, exactly. Yeah, yeah no, that's awesome though. You're obviously using it for like the right stuff. <laughs> yeah. So you're to your point. The code 411 already existed. Mm-hmm. So Polites basically adopted yeah. that for his book. So okay. now if you Google missing 411, it's all out there. And I'm glad you brought it up because. He's written a number of books. There was Missing 411 West Coast, then East Coast. Then he went global. Then he did Hunters. Then he did, I think, Land, Air, and Sea. Now, the reason I bring this up is he just did one. His most recent book is based on the alien abduction phenomenon. And Mm. for him, I haven't read this one, but this marks a real departure because he has really tried very hard to almost frustratingly go out of his way to say what's not doing it. Hmm. And so why he did this is interesting. You could go with the argument of, well, he's running out of things to write about, Mm -hmm. so now he's just going to pick one thing to start selling those books. Or you could say, you know what, maybe deep down inside, after his years of research, he really strongly believes this was more alien abductions than anything else. So now he's finally... Now that he's established saying, okay, now yeah. I think it's this, here's, here's my why. Theory. So I haven't read that one yet, but I'll probably grab that one. It should be pretty good, hmm. I bet. Interesting. So I knew a lot of a lot of this, I mean, because again, I read bits and pieces of things or if something catches my eye. And I've heard a lot of these uh, uh, examples, which are, you know, the, the kids in the woods and, and stuff like that. And yeah, you hear some of them say, you know, well, a, a Bigfoot took care of me or a, a monkey took care of me or a bear took care of me right. or you hear you know the kids say you know it, you know i was just lost you know yeah. but a lot of these things are crazy because these kids are turning up exactly where they shouldn't be right and i think well i, I motioned to you earlier i i think the there was like a clip of i guess maybe it was missing 411 where that it was a farm didn't they did they find that kid I think I know which one you mean. I think I think it was like an older one. The guy's old now. Yeah. But he was right there with his brothers and 
the mother called him in for dinner and he was with his brothers they're out in the barn doing something and the brothers went this way he went that way yeah and they searched for him for like forever and uh he was nowhere to be found but then they found found him like like nine miles away like up a mountain he was alive how's that, how's that possible well he was alive and but the thing is he covered this ground in less than a day mm-hmm. a, a toddler he was like a kid yeah but if, if i'm not mistaken if that's the thing they kept like his clothes from where it was and he had no recollection of how he got there how what happened but his his you know his boots were off i was yeah. trying that's what i was telling because I, I read up on so many things i just don't keep all the facts and shit in my head it's just you know well i'm glad you mentioned that one because if you look on the screen this video i debated where to show it but it's it's basically 10 15 minutes long but i watched it myself it's very good it's still on youtube right now top 10 unsolved missing 411 cases and that case you mentioned is actually in the video okay and so one of the really curious things is when these people are found, what they have done is is literally completely opposite human nature. As I mentioned, they go uphill instead of downhill. As Fred alluded to, when they find them, they have like taken their shoes or their clothes off. Mm-hmm. So instinctively, if they're in a cold area walking through snow, you would want to try to put more things on. They've taken them off. Mm-hmm. So part of the reason that this dovetails well with the alien abduction phenomenon, there are so many cases in alien abduction lore where a person wakes up and they've woken up in their own yard and all the doors of their house are locked on the inside or they've woken up and they are no longer wearing their clothes or they've woken up and they're wearing somebody's clothes but they're not their clothes or anybody's clothes in their house so when you see these weird things with clothing or Todd sees his boot being 70 feet up in a tree to me I wonder what if somebody had taken them, removed their clothes, done some type of testing, some type of sampling, and then cared so little for that human life, they just dropped them off somewhere, even if it was a couple mountain ranges over from where that person actually was. Right. Whatever thing or whoever is doing this just has a callous disregard for the sanctity of human life and those families that are left behind when you see where these bodies are actually yeah. left. It's crazy sad in a way yeah it really is and it's sad too because it almost has sort of killed the innocence of the woods for me a little bit like Mm -hmm. i still hunt like we still take our daughters to state parks for sure son of a gun when we're out there i mean i've i've got eyes on them the entire time there's no more like hey just go play down by the stream mom Mm -hmm. and i'll stay here on the blanket i'll come get you in an hour that doesn't happen yeah the innocence Mm -hmm. of children is definitely managed much differently today than it was decades prior Mm -hmm. definitely now, there was one case, Pilates is very big on having transponders, child finders. Yeah, yeah. There was one weird case I read about or watched where a kid had one on him, disappears. They end up finding him later. They look back at the child finder data. The kid basically jumped the entire way off the map, according to the transponder, and then came back on the crazy. map. That's crazy. So... You know, there's no actual preventative for whatever this thing is, but I would just say for anybody watching, if outdoors are important to you, especially if you're out there a lot, make sure you get some type of person finder on you when you're out there. James, I appreciate it, my friend. You did it again. Is this episode, is this 10 for us? Is this double digits? I think this is number one oh, yeah. Woo! 
Nice. That's a big deal. It is a big deal. I can't deal. believe we've been doing this this long, guys. Like, right? Props to us for sticking to something. Time just keeps moving along. I know. I <laughs> yes, know. It's, or we could be in a vortex and not know I was going to say, maybe we've just time, been... Time is all <laughs> relative. Well, my wife thinks something is definitely wrong with this because she says it's like the only thing in your life you've ever done consistently over a long period of time. <laughs> <laughs> so something's askew. See, yeah. I, just, I disappear for a couple hours and I have no recollection of time. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're a Netflix... A Netflix Netflix special all into yourself, friend. That's for sure. That'll happen. We'll do it again. Yeah, sounds good. Next time, we'll we'll, we'll hash out. We have a five. We have a six-person show on the horizon, and uh, it's excellent. I feel like we're just never going to run out of stuff to talk about. No, no, because the world's so bizarre. Yeah, it really is. And again, how can they reach you, James? Oh, great question. I would say best way is Neil Armstrong Planetarium Facebook or Instagram pages. Just send a message. I don't have like a book out or anything quite yet, but that would be the best yet. way to get a hold Notice of me. Not mm-hmm. yet. And also we've done 10 of these now, so I'd say just go to the Eric McKenna Project website and check out some of the previous episodes. And we are going great. to be changing yeah. the webpage. I'll mention it now where you'll be able to uh, to link to our, because we have met, we have series within the Eric McKenna Project. UFO series. When Rocco goes on, I have a series, and we have the Squad series. So it'll be easily maneuverable. So if you dig the content in one of these series, you'll just be able to make one click, and you'll see all of them concisely. So yeah, good stuff. But until we meet again, friends, thank you. Yes, awesome time. Thank you. Good times. Now I'm spooked, and I'm gonna have. I know. I know. (laughs) And we'll see you next time. We are out. Bye.